Hi, this is uh, Steve. And John. And this is uh, Quixotic. Uh, we're back. We're back <laughs> after another... See, John knows what I'm going to say already. Um, this is how well we know each other, people. This, this is how this well... Wasn't that, this wasn't as long of a hiatus, and it had to do because I'm having some homeless issues, so... <laughs> Did you did you find a place by the way? We we haven't talked about that in a while. I, I am staying at my girl's place right now, and okay, she's she's gone on a trip, so she's with her daughter and she's going to see some family. She's gone for about three weeks, so I'm living here, the bachelor lifestyle. Well, I'm I'm house sitting and I'm watching the chickens, so she's got. <laughs> Do not yes. kill those chickens, or you I'm have not kill the chickens. You have a young girl to answer to, you know. So they're, they're egg layers. I'm not going to eat the chickens. <clears throat> all right, all right. <laughs> so yeah, I'm on I'm on chicken detail. All right, so well, cool. That's that's a lot of fun, man. The chicken detail is pretty easy, though. It sounds like so. Not not to deal with. It's, yeah. it's there's some involved, but it's all right. Yeah, um, kind of fun. Well, probably easier than a dog though, because you don't have to like take the chickens out for a walk or anything. It's just you know, there's stuff involved with them. I won't I won't get into all those details. The chickens are actually kind of fun. They're kind of goofy to watch and like you know. Uh, and I know we don't want to mention names. I'll just uh, Peter though. Uh, his his mom has chickens, so I've I've gone over there a couple times and watched the chickens with them. And yeah, they're they're kind of interesting animals to sit down and just to try to watch. So yeah, are you? They're surprisingly common as pets, but uh... which is weird. I don't know. It's like people who get pigs. It's weird to me. Yeah, it is. To each their own, I guess. You want a farm animal? Yeah. Cool. Um, so we're going to do something a little different today. Start out like we normally do. But um, John had the idea of watching 1408 as a commentary track. Uh, basically, because you had the idea of watching a movie. And a movie. A commentary. Okay, all right. So we're going we're gonna to use and the movie I, 1408 in, in, in regards to this. Jo- John had the idea of, of delving into horror and what makes like scariness and you know all that stuff. Um, so I think it'll be kind of interesting. I um, wanted to clarify, going into this, I am not a horror fan. I do not like horror much. I am... Maybe it's just where I'm at with my spiritual walk. I, I'm not really much for downer ideas anymore and things like that. And I think you have to be... Just like you have to be careful about what you put in your physical body, you have to be careful what you put in your spiritual body as well. That being all said, and then on top of that... I don't like jump scares. They're they're the cotton candy of entertainment. And <laughs> on top, and I really, really cannot stand slashers. I I do not get entertainment out of stupidity. This wait, 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 wait. Slashers depend on stupidity. So back in high school, because your house that you lived in was the perfect slasher film, down to even the yeah, clock are, that, that yeah. yeah so that my parents still have that grandfather clock, by the way. Oh Jesus! <laughs> but I just Thank remember you. us sitting around your house, either drunk or stoned, at some point. I'm not going to go to, but talking about how scary your house is because it's it's the quintessential like even downstairs in the basement it was the quintessential like slasher house so Other it's interesting that you don't like terribly big <clears throat> but it was 
And I, I will see, admit, and I like that house. I like that house a lot. But I will admit it was kind of a creepy house. Oh, yeah. Um, nothing, nothing really wrong with it. I don't It just kind of worked. It was just kind of a creepy house. And I, there was nothing outwardly. It wasn't like the spooky mansion on the hill or anything like that. It was a no. regular suburban well, house. There was just a vibe to it. And yet, Aesthetically, like, though, you have to admit, like, it was, it was always kind of dark in that house. Unless, like, even yeah, the upstairs was, was kind of the, dark. Downstairs was the light area. Yeah, and it, well, and because it was a basement and it had, you know, just the very small kind of like basement mm-hmm. well windows or whatever those are called. So yeah, not a whole lot of light reached at the bottom. Half the basement was unfinished, half of it was finished. And yeah, the tones and the paint in that house were very muted, so they just like it. Light just didn't come into that house. Yep. Um, but, you know, that's neither here nor that. Real quick, I guess we should go over what we're drinking. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. Stick- John is yeah. keeping us on track tonight, guys. So so just think about that. Yeah, John's like, we got to finish this so movie. We're, we're in trouble when I'm the responsible one. <laughs> All right, John, go for uh, it. What are you drinking so, tonight? Uh, right now, uh, nothing special. I'm going with my go-to tonight with martinis. Only difference is I am using olives that have uh, blue cheese stuffing instead of pimento. Ooh. Not really my favorite, but I have them, so I'm just... Skid through them. You know, I don't dislike them, but I, for these, I just prefer either nothing or just a pimento. Uh, add, add a little bit of sharpness to it? Is that, is that the... It the, does, but also, like, there's, like, the blue cheese kind of crumbles into the drink, so there's, like, cheese particulate in my martini. Not particularly crazy about that, but... Yeah. I don't know. There might uh, be somebody in New York who wants that type of uh, drink, so you never know. But, but because we have, I've had martinis with blue cheese olives in before, and they were fantastic. But I, it's it's not my favorite. It just isn't. There's nothing wrong with it. I'm gonna drink them, uh, and I have two Trulies or whatever they're called on backup because I figure I'm gonna get through these two pretty fast. I, kind of <laughs> I have something to keep me going. It's just uh, so for you. I am gonna drink this a little slowly tonight, but um, not as fast as two martinis and a couple Trulies. But um, I. Went to Cancun, and every time I go to Mexico, I bring back tequila. And I brought back, like, three bottles this time. Uh, two of them from the same company, Addictivo Tequila. But this has sounded very interesting. It is an extra Nejo Cristalino. And so what it is is they make the tequila age it extra old, extra Nejo. But to get that, like, crystal light, like, crystal look, that clear look, that Blanco look, they filter out the... Um, color through a charcoal filter so they basically take out all the color in it and so what you're left with is something that's got like the subtlety of an anejo but it's got a little bit of that like kind of bite that like a blanco might get or something it's it's really kind of it's really good it's really sweet but it's really yeah it's it's interesting that you get the color from aging and then you would just drain all the color back out but yeah i think i'm not quite sure if that's a um like just a marketing ploy to sell it, do a new brand, a new different type of tequila or something, but maybe, you know, from just from what I can see by the color, it's like somewhere between a Blanco and a Reposado. Yeah. It's, it's very light. It's, it's not, obviously it's not clear like a Blanco, but it's not, it doesn't even have the color of a Reposado. It's, it's interesting. Yeah. The, the other interesting part too, is like, if you kind of look like if you look at the legs on it in this glass, and I'm not drinking out of a tequila glass, I'm just drinking out of my shot glass, but um, you can kind of see that, yeah, rocks glasses, sir. Um, you can kind of see like it has almost the legs of like a Blanco. 
uh, not really of an anejo. So that's kind of an interesting thing, but it's really sweet. So I don't know. The couple times I've, I've enjoyed it. So, yeah. It's good to hear. All right. So moving on, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> uh, clarif- clarify what I was saying before. So I, while I am not a fan of horror and I'm not a fan of horror tropes, I do like creepy. And maybe I'm undoing what I was saying earlier, but I have found myself to enjoy, I guess you could say, scary stories. I like things that get in your head, like, way more than a jump scare or anything like that. Something that can unhinge you. Maybe not. that might be overselling it, but that idea. Um, There is a YouTube channel called Mr. Ballin. Just giving him a quick shout out. I do. I am not on TikTok. I probably, actually, not probably. I never will be on TikTok. But hey, apparently, he got his start there. And since those are short, like two minute videos, he eventually got onto YouTube so he could do longer stuff. And he's actually a retired Navy SEAL who he just has a talent for storytelling. It just you can just tell he's just a natural gifted storyteller. And so he just tells creepy stories on YouTube. And I first found him because I was looking up. I am fascinated with the unsolved Hinterkaifeck murders. Um, if you've ever heard of them, look that that is a disturbing story. It is an incredibly disturbing story. I am just—it's morbid, but I am just fascinated with that story. And so I was looking it up one time, and that's how I found them. And then I've just started watching some of his other videos, and I definitely find myself drawn more to that aspect of, shall we say, horror than the slasher, the jump scare, things like that. Uh, so, and I, I, I have liked a few creepy pastas. I, I maybe go to a creepy pasta like once every other year, but I check it out every <laughs> once in a while. I'm like, oh, hey, that was a good story. And this is something you have on me. I have actually never read a horror, and I would probably enjoy that more than a movie. Like, uh, the only Stephen King I've read is All of the Dark Tower and Carrie. And Carrie is not a horror story at all. Um, you have actually read some of Stephen King's horror. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you probably, you could speak on that more than I can. I, I guess Sting, I mean, I've, Sting, the, only, I, the only horror I read was Goosebumps back when I was a kid. So it's just, you know. Uh, um, I will say, like, I've read a lot of Stephen King horror. It's it's interesting that you chose 1408 because it is it is like one of like, probably is one of his best short stories. Um, and then they then they then turned into this movie, and it's uh, I think the movie's decent. I, I, I here's the thing: I think only one person has really ever done King well, and that was Kubrick. And it's and funny because he can't stand. He it. hate it. Like he hate. Yeah. Um. But but I think he's the one that kind of like really was able to to take that creepiness factor and kind of put it into like a. a a media form as movies. And I've seen a lot of Stephen King movies. Um, <clears throat> and even like, I think the stand, the original stand miniseries did a good job of trying to like condense what King had written uh, down to that media. But again, like it, I think, I think King Stephen King, it's hard to translate ooh, in regards to it. I should say in regards to his horror into film, Carrie did a really good job. Carrie was probably one of the best like Stephen King movies ever. Um, so yeah, so it's, uh, there's a there's a new. I'm not sorry, not Carrie. Uh, Misery, Misery, Misery. All right, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. They remake Carrie. Yeah, Ka- uh, oh. Kathy Bates and uh, James Caan. You know, so, uh, so you know. Okay, makes sense. So when we got into this, 
knowing, so a lot of what we talk about is pop culture and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And we want to discuss great storytelling. So I guess tonight was all about what makes great storytelling in Hork. Obviously, I mean, that is quintessential, um, not quintessential, but ghost story, storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, like, so that automatically says there's there's an element to great storytelling and horror or scary or however you want to and what what defines that what makes for good horror what makes for a good ghost story what makes for a good scary story and I, that's kind of what I want to be tonight and I know 1408 like you said there's way better horror movies out there it, you said The Shining I love The Shining I love Kubrick I just thought it'd be a little too slow for tonight it's a little too long yeah there'd be a lot of there's a lot of downtime in the movie so Mm-hmm. conversation would just kind of drift it's not something we could necessarily keep running commentary on yeah um. and I still think I think 1408 is one of as a person who is not a horror fan admittedly I think 1408 is one of my favorite horror movies because I love the elements of it one I love there's maybe maybe three jump scares in the whole movie mm-hmm. I like so that works. It works by getting in your head. It's uh, mm-hmm. unnerving one. Uh, to take a quite slight detour, and I'm going to talk about Yahtzee again because I've talked about him a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. So he was describing because his like he might have changed his opinion on this recently, but for ever his all time greatest video game of all time, which I have not played, was Silent Hill Two. Yeah. And and he did his review of it, and then also when he. St- praise Silent Hill 2 and other reviews at some point. It just one he talked again, there's almost no jump scares in it. And two, it is it's like the movie's torture or the game is torturing you. It's it's not screwing with you, it's like tricking you into screwing with yourself. Yeah. Like, it's just it's always there, it's always creeping up on you. Like you like you're the one doing it to yourself and the game masterfully does that and that's why he likes it so much. I haven't played it. I will say horror games are way more effective than horror movies just because it's happening to you. Um, just versus that right yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. You're not watching somebody fighting or running from a monster in a horror game. You're the one running from the monster or whatever. Um, I'm trying to, cause I, I played one of the silent Hills and I can't remember which one it is. And it's either two or three. Um, and I will probably like two. I played it on Xbox. Because I remember a roommate of ours who loved the first Silent Hill playing too while we were roommates with her. So there we go. It was Silent Hill too. I'm going to get it. Yeah. That was was all about her. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I will will say like it was – they they did – they – you're exactly right. They used – and he's exactly right. They used – your own mind against you, and it's 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 another reason why like movies like Blair Witch uh, have done so well. Um, the first Blair Witch is because it used your mind against you more than it showed anything, and there were jump scares in that movie, right? But yeah, and I, but it really did. I, like I saw the Blair Witch once. I was much younger. I went to my big sister's Halloween party. Mm-hmm. I had a lot to drink really early, and I just fell asleep really early. Like, I just completely ruined myself at the party. But I woke up before midnight. So I passed out probably at, like, 9, but woke up before midnight. and kind of wandered out to the, the living room, and they were watching the Blair Witch. And I was more or less still drunk, so I just kind of laid there. And I know the Blair Witch was on, and I was staring at the screen, but I just didn't process. Process it, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was just kind of there. And I 
a lot of people have trashed Blair Witch was huge. We both remember that. Mm-hmm. We were like in high school when it was out. Yeah. But it really tapered off and it's been mocked yeah. pretty much ever since. So I think the however it did what it did was very effective. Mm-hmm. But it kind of had a short uh, yeah, it just didn't have any lasting impact, right? The the one thing that it did have is it started a whole genre of film, the whole found footage the found genre. Footage. And now moving on to that, and it's kind of suffered a similar fate. In fact, another rare horror movie I like is the Paranormal Activity, up to the fourth one. <sighs> Fifth and sixth Paranormal Activity can just fuck right off. They're horrible. Um, and even like the the fourth one, what, cracks are starting to form. Mm-hmm. But there was still one I, that was it, the the story that was going on was still cohesive in that, and mm-hmm. there was very creepy elements to it. And that's I think Paranormal Activity is a good example because I think that's a good example of what makes a good scary story. Yeah, and it's, well, really all the Paranormal Activities because at the end of the day they're still formulaic. But just for the sake of argument, we'll discuss the first one right now. And I think 1408 is another great example of it, is the power of escalation. And, like, to me, especially the original Paranormal Activity was a masterclass in escalation. Mm -hmm. Like, from the first thing that happened is literally just, like, the keys. And (laughs) as, as you're watching it, you actually, as a person watching the movie, and this is something that shouldn't really happen in movies like in ordinary circumstances this would be considered a mistake in filmmaking you actually have to struggle to hear the keys because it's just the camera upstairs the keys are downstairs and like you're just seeing the footage of their bedroom and like you actually have to struggle to hear the keys go tink as they Mm -hmm. get knocked off onto the floor and then they're talking about the keys on on the floor and then the next night it's literally just the bedroom door moves and moves back that's it but it just it just grows and grows and grows. And fourteen oh eight to me is another great example of the escalation. So yeah. that Which, comes around to I think is one crucial element to good horror, and maybe that's really a crucial element to all storytelling. But I, I, in horror, you can definitely see. But you, you have to start out small, and like, um, and the book does a the, the short story does a really good job of escalation. Like, it just starts out small, and all of a sudden he starts to feel funny in the head, and then all this weird shit all of a sudden starts happening out of nowhere. Mind you, it's only like maybe a hundred pages long, right? At that, but but it has to escalate, so it has to escalate very quickly. But it does. It starts very small, and then builds and builds and builds and builds. But this is also to that to that. Um, degree like you know rising action falling action you're very right like everything's a three-act structure to the fact of like when you talk about something like paranormal activity and this i think gets into like where psychological horror really like lands with people is everybody can remember that time that they're sitting in their room and they hear something knock you know like just something get you know something fall off the shelf and it wakes them up from a dead sleep or everybody can think about the time where they kind of do see the closet door just kind of open a little bit or shut just a, just slightly right and you, you kind of get put in that scene of like oh I, I know it that was creepy as hell when that happened to me and then it to build on it it almost is like it draws you in deeper because you can then start to relate with the horror of what's like you can start to relate and be like man maybe there was something living in my house that was like doing this shit I just you know never really got that bad um, but you had something we'll, we'll start the film yeah. here in just a minute but you had something 
that was creepy. And it, before like we even started this whole thing, um, and you you said that you wouldn't tell me until we got uh, until we like talked online. Yeah, so well, yeah, so now I have, wasn't gonna because I wasn't gonna tell you by text. I was gonna be like, yeah, yeah. Tell, tell, tell you the whole thing. And I think I actually forgot it. I I was intended to bring it in here because I was gonna show you, um, but I don't want to run away and go grab it real fast. So I don't want to say. So like I said I'm watching my girl's house right now um, while she's on a, on a family vacation, going to see family in the Midwest, and. Before she left, this was just a casual, offhand uh, conversation. She was showing me some stuff. I think because I was discussing Fourth of July. Uh, the shirt, by the way, is a pure coincidence that I'm wearing today. Okay. But, but the Fourth of July is my favorite holiday. I love fireworks. I love America. You know, blah blah blah. <laughs> it is my favorite holiday. I do. I do love to celebrate the Fourth of July. So. Uh, uh, and she was just kind of showing me stuff, especially because she was talking, you know, this is how this is done. You know, she was showing me what she wants done around her house and all that. Mm-hmm. And she showed me these super cheap things like you would buy at Walmart for celebrating Fourth of July. It's one of those little cheap plastic headbands that has two little spring loaded stars or like spring mounted stars hanging off of it. <laughs> and, yeah. and it has a, a tiny little battery pack in it that has little, there's little lights in the stars that flash red and blue, red and blue. Okay. I've seen these a million places. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. Everyone's probably seen these. So she was showing to me and she clicked them on and they didn't work. And she's like, oh, that's a, and we were, we briefly got in a conversation about, you know, possibly finding the batteries to replace these things. And with these things, I think that's technically possible, but these are more or less disposable. You're supposed to just throw them away after one day, especially after the, you're, you're not really supposed to replace the batteries in these things. They're, they're throwaways. They're gimmicky little things you buy for, for, but she had them around. It's just, you know, kind of one of those things that accumulate. And she showed on me, and okay, this was days ago, nothing really came of it. Uh, when we were getting ready for all this, and I was doing stuff, and you know, we were discussing getting ready for this evening in the podcast, I walked out into the kitchen, and they are sitting on the dining room table, and they are blinking. They are flashing <laughs> red and blue. So one, when she showed these to me, they didn't work. <laughs> And two, I haven't touched these things, and I've been in this house for days. What is going... Why are these sitting on the table on? They're on, All of a sudden, they're working, and they're flashing, and I am just like, what the crap? <laughs> Don't touch them. Uh, just leave them be. Like, like, what the crap? So... So now I'm trying to think of a reasonable explanation, which obviously, like, okay, maybe there was just a loose wire or something. <coughs> so, so maybe they actually were still working and just, you know, when we tried them, they, the wire was loose or whatever, so they didn't turn on or whatever. Yeah. And, and then I'm thinking, well, I just had my kids here for the last couple of days. They left. I took them home yesterday afternoon. Obviously, that's the type of thing that one of both of my girls play with. Maybe they turned it on and left it there. And but then that's leaving the question like, even with lights off and early in the morning when I'm getting ready to go to work, how did I not notice this flashing red and blue light? Two flashing red and blue lights on the kitchen table. What is going on here? And so that, but I'm thinking, eh, okay, maybe possible. So when I said I was working on, when I, I texted you saying I'm processing my logical explanation, uh-huh. I texted my son and I said, can you ask your sisters if they messed with this headband thing? I'm not mad. I just want to know. 
I didn't want a denial, you know, because they thought they'd made Dad mad for some reason. I was like, I'm not mad. I just want to know. And he said, no, they didn't. I noticed that it was kind of loose, kind of towards the edge of the table, so I kind of moved it. And I'm like, okay, do you think you turned it on? Maybe even by accident? He's like, no, I didn't. And that's the end of it. So now I'm like, okay. So maybe he did accidentally bump the switch on him and turn him on. Maybe. But then that means I walked by them in both light and dark for a day and didn't notice. And it's, I mean, they're not like the best quality, but they are flashing red and blue lights. You yeah. can see them. <laughs> Especially, like I said, in the mor- I'm not turning on lights and stuff when I'm leaving in the morning. It's still kind of dark in here. <laughs> I could see that. There's no, that's, there's no way I could miss that. So what the hell happened? Like they said, this was like whenever I texted you an hour or two hours ago. Yeah, like, yeah. I walked out of the room I'm in into the kitchen, and they were just on the table blinking. Um... You ever, you ever watched? When I, when I first was learned of their existence, like four days ago, they didn't work. You ever watched Stranger Things? I got up to season three. I like season one, and yes, I even like season two. In fact, my single favorite moment in Stranger Things was in season two. Season three lost me, and I don't even think I want to pick up. Is it? Is that because the? Communist, like suddenly there's it a just, communist yeah, portal in the it, bottom of the you mall. Want, you want to talk about <laughs> jumping the shark? Stranger Things jump the shark. I, Holy crap! I'll, I'll give you that. Season season four is not as like. I mean, it's still crazy. They're just upping the ante. But yeah, I'll give you that. Like season three, definitely. Like all of a sudden, there's communists in the middle of America, and there there's a portal between communist and Russia and. America, it doesn't make sense. So. To me, they made it almost too slapsticky. Like when they're being chased by the monster at the in the like the last episode, and yeah, yeah. they need the thing from the guy's girlfriend, but she won't because she doesn't realize they're in mortal peril. She won't do what they need her to do unless he sings to her. So they're being chased by this monster, and he's singing her a song, and it's played up for laughs. But I'm not, I'm in. The laughs in Stranger Things are supposed to happen in like the first half of the season. Yeah, like, that's that's how it works. Like that, you know, has the goofy, funny moments that endear the characters to you, and like the last half of the season, shit gets real. That's how yeah. Stranger Things is supposed to work. Not that there's not creepy things happening before that, but um, so, but thanks for bringing that up, kind of, because that kind of goes into because I want to discuss elements that make good horror. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, who a person who does not like jump scares and slashers and things like that, the things that work for me to make horror and make creepy, making something creepy. And Stranger Things was good at that. Stranger Things was good, at least was, good at creepy. And mm-hmm. My single favorite moment in Stranger Things, and now this ties into something else I didn't like about season three, I'll bring it back to the fact, is so, you know, the first season was about the Demogorgon. Mm-hmm. Did I forget the monster? I almost feel like I said the monster. The second season is what, you know, they started calling it the Hydra. Yeah. And, you know, the the boy who had been in the Upside Down in season one, he, and he still has that connection to it, so he's seeing things. Mm-hmm. When his mom is watching the footage from when they were trick-or-treating at Halloween, and she was wondering why her boy was freaking out. And so she, like, pauses the vid- the home video 
and she could kind of see something in the static of the video. So she mm-hmm. puts the sheet on the page on the TV and traces it, and she can see the outline of the monster. And and she's like, oh my god. That to me, that has been my favorite moment in the entire show. I love that moment. That was a great moment. And that to me, that's that building, that slow, epic, you know, building towards something. Uh, yeah. That glimpse, it's foreshadowing. Like to me, that it was quintessential good horror. Mm-hmm. Good, scary storytelling. I love that. Uh, but, and then again, so the Hydra, I think that's what they started calling it was the Hydra. It was this creepy, like, shadow monster in season two. And was it the Mind, mind Flayer? Or Mind Flayer, yeah, that's right, they called mind it Mind Flayer. Yeah. So, yeah, it was like this creepy shadow monster that was, you know, the king of the Upside Down. You don't yeah, know, like, and it's like, huge, like, and yeah. It's huge. Uh-huh. And then in season three, it's like this sludge monster. And it, to me, it just took all the, like the creepy factor out of it like it was not because it was almost a Lovecraftian monster in season 2 and they completely ruined that to me to me in season 3 season 4 does get better because I agree with you season 3 was like just weird like what what were they trying to do season 4 gets better and explains a lot of kind of like why we keep seeing these different monsters before the king, okay. like the battle with the king. Um, and then it also adds in the aspect of like almost like a nightmare on Elm Street kind of vibe to it, which is which is kind of interesting because Robert England is in it. Um, so I will maybe give it a shot. I I do not have any subscription services. I'm so fed up with with all of just to just arg it. Arg. <laughs> if I really want to watch something, that's what I do now. And I, Mm-hmm. Which is, you know, that's not right, but thankfully on the other side of it, uh, so rarely do I want to watch something. That's so weird that we're doing a pod, you know, like a podcast largely revolving around pop culture or culture at least. <laughs> you're, you're more of the art and the film student and the film structure expert. And I'm like, I'm just done with all this crap. I don't <laughs> And we're trying to do this podcast and it's where you're like, yeah, I don't watch anything anymore. You're like, oh, have you seen this movie? No, I don't watch anything anymore. So yeah. that's weird. It's weird no, that we're I, doing it. I, I, think, I think it's it's where I can convince you to at least love film again. Um, you know, or certain aspects. Like, uh, you know... Um, so maybe that's your point and then you let I'll just say you let me pick the movie for the first one here yeah Uh, uh, it's lucky so, we didn't watch some Werner Herzog movie or something like that here so you know so now uh, man I don't know if I want to bring this up at the podcast bring it up offline because it's not related but um, uh, the director who did um, Videodrome uh, the body oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Cronenberg, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Cronenberg. His new movie, what's your opinion on that? Oh, I don't because even know I if was, he had a new movie. He, I'm what? almost interested in it. Oh, I'm utterly amazed you don't know about this movie. I'm going to so, look this shit it's, up. It is, it is quintessential Cronenberg, like the body horror thing that he's all about. Like, So, I wish I could remember what it's called. And... Somebody I would not expect to be. I, th- I think it's a uh, Twilight chick. Uh, Kristen Stewart's in it, of all people. I think. I think. Um, Director The Shroud or Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future. He's got a new one called The Shrouds coming out. 
Humans adapt to a synthetic environment with new transformations and mutations. With his partner, Caprice, Saul transfers. Celebrity performance artist publicly showcases the metamorphosis of his organs in an avant-garde performance. Um, I will have to let you know. <laughs> Roger that. Yeah. I've never heard of this, and I, I honestly, I don't, I don't want to take up all of our time watching a trailer okay, yeah. for something. Do you know how rare it is that I get to tell you about a movie, though? Like, no shit, man. That's cool. Yeah. That is cool. Um, yeah, we. I'll definitely. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna save this for later. That was actually kind of creepy. So. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess it did sort of tie in. Yeah, I love it. All right. Which it's right. funny. I was so, looking at this Hinter Kafik Kaf, murders Hinter a little Kaifik bit. Murders. Isn't is this the one where the the groundskeeper finds like the the um the shoe prints in the snow or something like? Oh no, not the or going up the story. side of the. All right, so I will give like the Cliff Notes version of this story. Okay, yeah, yeah. and then we'll start the movie because so. this. Well, I still want to talk about horror, but. Um, so, what's great about this unsolved murder story is that it has everything, including haunted ghost story elements, and not after the murders. So, this thing whole start. So, it is a grandfather, grandmother, daughter, granddaughter, grandson, and then uh, a, a live-in nanny. The daughter's husband died in World War One. This was in 1922, I believe, in Bavaria. Mm-hmm. And the previous live-in nanny quit six months before the murders because she said the house was haunted. It's a it was a farmhouse out in the country. Um. So she she said this house this house is haunted. I'm out of here. She quit, and it took them six months to find. And that's the other thing is the the poor live-in nanny. This was her first day on the job. So in in the days leading up to this, in the days leading up to it, um, the farmer because he would go into town sometimes and like drink at the bar or whatever the tavern, and he would talk about. So like people were starting to hear noises on the farm. And things like that. And then he, and he was, he's telling about this. And keep in mind, he was kind of, he was a very harsh old man. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't really well liked in the town, but, you know, he was a known figure. You know, it was a small village. And, and then right up leading to the murders, he talked about, you know, there was fresh snow on the ground. And, like, he opened his door and there was footprints in the snow coming out of the woods to the front step and then stopping and then he went and looked and he could not find any footprints he checked even like the windows in case somebody opened a window and left mm-hmm. and jumped out a window and there so there was no footprints back out the front there were no footprints leaving the property there was just the footprints in the snow entering the property and you know, you check the windows, no footprints outside windows, no footprints out the back door, just no footprints around. He checked everywhere in this house. And that guy, Mr. Bond, I was talking about earlier, he's the one who even showed, like, pictures of the attic. Like, he checked the attic. And this was not, like, an attic full of stuff where somebody could maybe hide and cap, cap out and, and hide out. Uh, it was an open attic. There was no place to hide in this attic. Yeah. You know, he went up there and he looked and he didn't see anybody. And 
everything like that. So everyone was be, kind of becoming unnerved. And so the murders happened on a weekend, like on a Friday. And essentially, like, they were let out, like, grandfather, grandmother, daughter, granddaughter were, were somehow lured into the barn one by one, and they were killed with a mattock, which is, for anyone who doesn't, it's kind of like a pickaxe, but kind of, a pickaxe has, like, the flat curved back end and the pointed front end. A mattock has, it has the same back end as a pickaxe, but the front end's kind of like a really long, skinny axe head for... That's like the easiest way to describe it. It's like like this long and it only gets like this tall. And that's what they were killed with. So he like somehow he led the grandfather to the, the killer led the grandfather in the barn, killed him, led the grandmother lured the grandmother to the barn, killed her, the daughter, the the adult daughter to the barn killed her. And what's really sad is then the granddaughter, who I think she was seven or eight at the time, she's the only one that shows signs of suffering. Uh, like the like the blows weren't immediately fatal because she had like hair in her hand like she was like in misery like pulling at her own hair. Uh, Everyone else looks like they were more or less killed pretty much immediately, but her it looked like she suffered. And then so the live-in nanny and then the baby grandson were asleep in the house, and the killer then proceeded into the house and killed them in their in their sleep. So. This was like on a Friday. Nobody knew they were missing because there's a farm. They're out in the country. They're out in the wilderness. But they didn't show up to church on Sunday. And that's how the, like, the people are like, huh, that's weird. Where are they? So that was when they went to investigate and check the house out. And that's when they... So the murders were discovered. And this is the other like super spooky element of it. So nobody was there. The murder, They found the bodies and everything like that. But the cows were watered and fed. There had been evidence of cooking and a fire and everything like that. And for all intents and purposes, all they could tell was that the person, whoever was in the house, had only been gone for like maybe an hour. So the killer presumably killed them on a Friday and then lived in the house for like two days and took care of the animals and everything and just lived in this this house and was gone by the time they just they discovered the bodies. And again, it was never solved. No one ever knew. There was a a theory that her husband hadn't actually died in the war because his body was never found. But this was World War One. It was a tremendously terrible conflict. It's not understandable. And according to the men in his platoon, he died. It was yeah. just that the fact that there was never a body recovered. So there was kind of a conspiracy theory that for whatever reason, even though he had died like four years prior, he came back and killed everyone. It, again, it was just kind of a theory. It didn't really make sense. So that is the Hinterkaifeck murders. And it's it fascinates me because it's just it has ghost story elements. It has just a creepy murder vibe and there's and obviously just kind of any unsolved mystery is going to intrigue anyone really. did they ever catch any sort of suspect nobody. or no, nobody the only thing is in when i've read about it there was a police a german police academy in 2007 that used it kind of in the in their regu- in like their final exam or whatever i don't know how police academy works especially not in germany but mm-hmm. that's what i was reading they did a case study on it and they said they believed they solved it, but because of the implications of descendants and everything like that, people were involved, and it was essentially almost a century-old crime at that point, they did not release their findings. That's all I know. That's all I've read on it. But, yeah, this apparently a German police academy in 2007 claims that they believe they solved the murder. I, wow. I don't know. 
So, but it, it's just the Hinterkaifeck murders are an incredibly creepy story. This is to me good ghost storytelling. Like, there's you don't need jump scares or anything like that. You just tell the story well, yeah. and it's creepy, and it just gets in your head. Like, what mm-hmm. the hell? Like, what the hell happened? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, huh. So that leads into things that I think are so because I wanted to discuss what makes good horror. Well, obviously mystery, the unknown. Yeah. Nothing is as scary as the unknown. You can't prepare for the unknown. You can't fight the unknown. You can't run away from the unknown. The yeah. unknown nothing. Your worst fear, your actual worst fear, is not as bad as the unknown. Yeah. Um, what's kind of cool on this is. Uh, a while back and I was at work and I had ran out of things to read so I was raiding my uh, my works library mm-hmm. for just something to read because I'd read all my books and I found a Batman novel of all things <laughs> and I started reading it and, and just for I don't, I don't remember the name of this book I don't necessarily recommend it people run out and read it but for this purpose of this book just so the villain of this book was the Scarecrow and in the book, a character who was friends with Bruce Wayne was a successful horror author. Mm. And uh, the main plot around the book essentially revolved around Scarecrow kidnapping this guy and wanting to learn his secrets kind of thing. Okay. And he's like, like, basically, how are you able to accomplish with words what I need my toxin to do? Is kind of what yeah. the Scarecrow's motive was. And that was one of the main points he makes. Is like, once, once it's revealed, no matter how horrifying, like, once you know... It could be the worst thing in the world, but once you know, your mind can start to adapt. You can come mm-hmm. up with a plan. You can make things. That, you can't do that with the unknown. So the unknown always trumps anything. Uh, so obviously that's a big... That is a big part of horror. Um, yeah. Even with things like slasher flicks and, like, you know, what are the rules, like... You know, because the whole thing like Freddy Krueger, you can't protect from Freddy Krueger because he can get you. He can invade your dreams, yeah. And like Michael Myers, he can motherfucker can teleport for fuck's sake. Like, like, (laughs) what do you do? Um, (laughs) We can't teleport, but yeah, he is like he's essentially standing right behind you when you think he's not there. You know, like oh, I I ran away from him, and then suddenly he's right behind you. So. Um, Jason Jason Voorhees, right? Like again, that same kind of like unstoppable. The man's uns- no matter you can catch him on fire, you can stab him, you can beat him, you can drown him, but he's just fucking unstoppable, you know. And with other forms of storytelling, like with magical superheroes and stuff like that, this is a detriment. This actually hurts your storytelling. But with horror, it works. Like, what are the rules? And that's like like the the survivors in any horror story. It's all about what are the rules? Like, what can this thing do? What can it not do? Like, mm-hmm. So that's yeah, like, a good element. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, I, I never really know. Uh, so the Nightmare, I think I watched one Nightmare on Elm Street, like Dream Child, I think, part five. And um, I, like, it scared the shit out of me. Like, to this day, that, that movie convinced me that I never need to watch, like, deep horror, because horror, like, scares the crap out of me. In general, right? But again, it's, it is the thought of the unknown that always, that will always get me. So, like, I saw The Exorcist with a... I don't know if you were there with us. It was myself and... A, and I've never seen it, so no. I'm it was not. a... Okay. They did a re-release of it back... I think we were in high school or just out of high school, but they did a re-release of The Exorcist, and we saw it at the Regal, you know, the big giant screen and all that stuff. And um, and I have to say, like, 
that to me is a little bit of the unknown because there's that spiritual warfare aspect of it that came out in the exorcist right um and so this is why i'll never watch paranormal activity because there's this idea of uh demon possession that happens in some of these movies that just that yeah, I, paranormal activity I, is not a ghost it's a demon yeah. demon yeah i don't like in, that in a, i hate that a, and we talk in you a witch just, coven too yeah and you you talk about how you letting like in in a spiritual world like it's what you feed yourself and what you feed your spirit mm-hmm. and why Watching those movies, there's a, there's a piece of me that that like watching those movies allows that type of influence in my life that I just don't feel like I need to open a door for, um, and especially after watching The Exorcist and you know being in that kind of so so I'm very careful and choosy about the type of horror films that I watch or what I read or that kind of thing, you know. So um, and Freddy Krueger is one of them because again, that's you could almost put to him that he's a demon, you know, not just scary ghost, but a demon who's invading people's dreams and killing them that way. Wow. You bring it back up paranormal activity. You said, so you've never seen paranormal activity or anything? No, and I never will. Huh. Yeah, yeah, never will. That's fair enough. So, the thing is, so we bring that up in the second one, and the big climactic end of the second one, and he's down in the basement of his house, you know, in a real scenario, no one would still be walking around with a camera, but whatever. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is, this is that type of movie, right? But so. There's, so it's... So it's that kind of creepy thing going on, and and he's his wife I think is possessed, and they towards the this is the climax of the scene, and he's yeah. he's down in the basement trying to deal with his wife, and there is a jump scare at that part where like his wife lunges at him and stuff like that, but before that, and he's it's the basement, so he's going through the house, and there's boxes <coughs> everywhere and everything, yeah, yeah. and it's. So he's going along, and he's, like, between rows of boxes and everything like that, and this little imp runs across the screen, and it's never mentioned, it's, like, there's no reference to it, no one ever talks about it, it's never in any of the other paranormal activities, and you're just like, what was that? It was an imp. It was, like, a little, little tiny little demon, like, and it, like, that's the kind of stuff, like... Six movies, and that thing is never addressed. Um, <laughs> what the hell? See, uh, like I would. This this is why I would never. Um, I just couldn't do it. Sorry, I just I just can't do it um, because you see shit like that in those, and they do, and that's great. They do a great job, but. Yeah, like watching something like that. Like this shit that happens in Exorcist with her crab walking down the fucking stairs. Or, you know, just shit like that. I'm like, I can't do it. I just can't. Like that's, that's like, because you imagine being put in that. Like for me, my my brain goes immediately to like, oh man, that would suck. Imagine you doing that. So, you know, so yeah, fuck it, man. I, I It's funny. I'm, I'm looking up, I'm trying to look up imp paranormal activity and nothing even pulls up. So... No, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. it's so, it's such a, and it's, I mean, you blink and you miss the scene. Yeah. It's just like the fact that it's not even talked about. Like, what is going on here? And so, uh, just maybe going back to, because we do need to get into this movie. But I, <laughs> uh, it, so maybe this is just me, but I don't think so. I think one of the other crucial elements of horror is sound. There's something about creepy sounds. And, so, like, again, the Mr. Ballin guy I was talking about. So, yeah, the, his videos are just him telling a story. But he he adds sound effects. And it's yes. very effective. It is very effective. 
and even necessarily kind of unrelated to things immediately associated with horror. I mean, I've always heard like people who have actually been in the path of a tornado describe it like a train. That's the yes. sound they describe. It's like a train. And I've heard trains. I'm, I don't know what a train sounds like. That never made sense to me. But where I'm staying now, there's train There's train tracks a quarter mile away, I would say. I don't know exactly how far. So you'll hear the trains here, but not close. Like not like if you've ever been stopped and had to wait for a train, and you hear the clack, 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 and you hear the and you hear the horn and everything like that. I just yeah. mean the general sound of a train at a distance coming away, and it's just this rumbling coming from you, coming towards you. And one, now I completely understand what people say when they, they say a tornado approaching sounds like a train. But two, that sound is downright creepy. Like a train like a quarter mile away, just that rumbling is a creepy sound. And then another sound that always got to me, um, we are growing up, I'm sure you know the sound. So we had the like the tornado, you know, growing up in Colorado, we had the like the tornado sirens and they would test them. And like the the normal like siren sound, that didn't bother me. And you'd hear like in the like this is a test. This is a test and that was fine but there was the other one I don't know what this this alarm is for but it was like a and you would just these speakers I don't know where they were in the town but they were just everywhere and you would hear this sound like we'd be hanging out at high school and you'd hear Mm -hmm. that sound that sound just made my hair stand on end. I don't know what that was for. It was just a creepy sound. It way more than the, the alarm, like the tornado siren was. I, I don't remember what that one was for. But it was just a creepy sound. Creepy sound is, quintess- is essential to horror. Quintessential even, you know. Yeah, and that was one thing, like, you could say, like, Silent Hill did a really good job of of using sounds to 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 freak you out. Um, mm-hmm. Another game that I think that does it really well, and honestly, and unfortunately, it has a lot of jump scares in it, but, um, but it uses, like, shadows and things to play with your mind as well. Like, did I really, like, for example, you're talking about the imp that runs across the screen in that stupid movie. Um, like, you... You see shit just run across the shadows real quick, and you're like, did I see that? Am I going... What am I expecting? But again, the sounds, like, the way that they use the set, the ambient sounds of... But Bioshock. Like, Bioshock did a lot to try to, like, just use sounds and lights and stuff like that to kind of, like, freak you out. You know, you're like, oh, okay, it's calm. I don't have any enemies. And then suddenly all these weird sounds are going on. And then they're using arcade sounds and shit like that. And it's just like, yeah... Um, th- there is something to be said about that. Like, so I had I had heard during the Chuck E. Cheese murders, like one of the creepiest things that most of the cops had to deal with was the fact that the after the murders, um, the music and the animatronics were still going in Chuck E. Cheese at the time, and so mm-hmm. you just see this like grisly murder scene. But you still have the an- the animals sitting here, like strumming their guitars and singing these happy songs, 
um, you know, and, and I don't know what any of the Chuck E. Cheese, but if you can just imagine that, to me, that that would be that creepy factor, right? Absolutely. That would be, and, you know. and I remember you telling me that, and I just, I can't imagine what that was like, right? That, that's, oh, man. That makes, like, Five Nights at Freddy's as a, as a horror game make complete sense. Yeah, yeah. And the fact that basically these police officers had to experience that in real life, like... You know what? Four people killed with a shotgun and a Chuck E. Cheese, and like the animatronics are still just, and especially because those things like, those things like dip way below the uncanny valley to begin with. Oh yeah, they're just. I mean, they're just yeah, they're weird. Their their eyes move, but they don't smile. Their mouths move, you know, and yeah, it's just yeah, it's just, just. yeah, and you just can picture like you know a bloodbath with these things just playing, still playing. Yeah, oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> creepy. And that's real life. That's that is real life, life. creepy. Exactly. And I, exactly. I, I think really because of where we grew up, we I don't think most people know about the Chuck E. Cheese murders, but uh, outside of Colorado, no. Yeah. No. Um, I've that, ta- in fact, was, I had to mention to a couple people about like Ch- that, like that. Basically, the Chuck E. Cheese murders. And I'm like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this happened. Blah 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 blah. So, yeah. Um, and, and so, discussing sound, and I guess that would include music. We're going into a movie that uses a light-hearted song to great effect with horror. So, what song is that? Well, we've only just begun. Oh shit! That's right. To live. White lace and <laughs> The song that drives them insane. Well, that's the song the the room uses. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And I think that's one of the great elements of this movie. I think figure at last. I think I finally ran out of topics to discuss. And we should get it started. <laughs> this movie, the the unknown is man is described so well in this movie I think and yeah. if it, you've read the short story I haven't so maybe it's even better in the short story but especially I, like, I love the part so because Samuel L. Jackson is the hotel manager in this mm-hmm. and how you know he's talking into his voice recorder and he's you know talking about the ghost or poltergeist and Samuel L. Jackson's like I never mentioned anything about a ghost or poltergeist and he's like oh really well then what is it then he's like it's an evil fucking room like, <laughs> like yeah it's for for all intents and purposes, yeah, uh, John Cusack is a is a reporter who hears the story of the he's room. A, he's an author. He's author, an author, sorry. Yeah. And yeah, basically, he, so he, 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 he stays on, in so. haunted places. He writes books about like he stays in the most haunted places in the country and writes most haunted lighthouses, most haunted hotels, and all this stuff like. That. So he finds out about this room and. He really should have known something was different because they're always so, you know, these places are always so happy to see him. And, you know, oh, we'd love to have this famous author stay at our place. Man, this is a really scary place. You should hear the ghost stories about this place where they are trying to do everything they can to get him to not stay in this room. <laughs> like, that should have let him know. But a great pride is an element into it. And yet he's in the room for a few minutes before he realizes this is nothing like anything else before. And again, it gets to what Samuel Jackson said. I said, I didn't say anything about a ghost or poltergeist. It's an evil fucking room. Yeah. And that's 